What's up, world? I'm Matt Newberg from Hungary, and this is The Feed. Each episode, we'll dive into conversations with the industry insiders who are leveraging technology to shape the way we eat. On today's episode of The Feed, the Hungry Trends community sat down with Naama Moran, co-founder and CEO of Cheetah, a mobile app-based distributor to thousands of independent restaurants throughout the Bay Area. In this episode, we'll talk about the competitive landscape of digital players like Chaco and Pepper, how the startup has begun acquiring traditional mom-and-pop distributors, and how it's now leveraging machine learning to help restaurants maintain just-in-time inventory to reduce waste. All right, I'm very excited to be joined today by Naama Moran. She is the co-founder and CEO of Cheetah, an online wholesale distributor providing next-day delivery for over 3,000 independent restaurants in the San Francisco Bay Area. And prior to Cheetah, Naama founded and sold several companies in the wholesale food and physical retail industries. Naama, welcome aboard. Thank you so much, Matt. I'm really, really excited to be here with you. Likewise, looking forward to digging in. Uh, the, the wholesale food distribution space is definitely something that is very key to the restaurant industry and uh, something that I'm very eager to learn more about. So so great to have you on board. But before we get into all the fun stuff, uh, I'd love to talk about your background. You grew up in Israel, apparently surrounded by a family of farmers Correct. and small business owners. Um, I'm curious how that kind of shaped how you decided to found these various companies um, leading up to Cheetah. Yeah, thank you for the question. So yes, I did grow up in Israel in a, in a village, what's called the Moshav. My uh, father inherited his parents' farm, which used to be a turkey farm and also a bunch of uh, citrus orchards. And yeah, that's how I grew up. Uh, I grew up basically helping my dad when needed on the farm. Um, later on, he also owned a bakery. And I remember myself as a kid going to the bakery and sitting kind of there watching out the whole action from the side. I think that what's interesting is that many years later and in Cheetah, as I've been kind of meeting with both farmers and other distributors uh, and manufacturers, I definitely been reminded of these childhood moments kind of working alongside my dad, or I should say helping him out uh, as, as a little child. And that definitely has created uh, a deep sense of empathy and connection to these small business owners, especially the ones that are dealing day in and day out with creating the food that we are all eating. It's a really, really hard business, yet we're all relying on it for our day-to-day livelihood and, and nourishment. And that made me particularly passionate about creating better tools and infrastructure to take the food industry to the 21st century. Amazing. Love it. There's nothing better than you know, having that firsthand experience, uh, you know, with your family business and seeing it firsthand. So that's really cool. Uh, I know you, you founded another company in the space called Sorcery before Cheetah. Uh, how is that different than what you're building now? And, and what was the problem you're trying to solve there? Yeah, so Sorcery is the predecessor of Cheetah. At Sorcery, uh, uh, the problem I was trying to solve was the problem of the incredible fragmentation in restaurant ordering and the absolute lack of transparency around pricing and product information in the space. I became acquainted with that problem working on a previous startup that was servicing a lot of local merchants, predominantly restaurants. And as I was spending a lot of time with them, I became intimately familiar with what was making their, their day happy, which was mostly you know cooking and being with their customers, and what was making their day sad or frustrating, which was 
a lot of the time related to supply chain challenges. Uh, and at no point in time did I meet a restaurant owner that said, I'm so in love with my broadline distributor. They're incredible. <laughs> like they were mo mostly bitching and moaning and feeling like they cannot trust their broadline distributors. And looking at it from the outside as um, a product designer and someone who wishes to have an impact at scale with the use of technology, I felt that that was a worthwhile opportunity. It didn't make sense to me that the same people who are running restaurants are using Amazon for their day-to-day purchasing yet wow. in the restaurants they're calling in orders to place them on on you know voicemails or texting them to the reps <laughs> and that's when i kind of um started sorcery sorcery was a software as a service uh product it was a purchasing platform that aggregated the distributors inventory and pricing information and enabled restaurants to place an order from one place online with all of their distributors as, as opposed to like the fragmented way they're currently managing their ordering what was really interesting, and I think that would be also a good segue to your to to talk about the difference between what Cheetah does today and, and other virtual kind of marketplaces. What I learned kind of the hard way is that even though uh, at Sorcery we were able to onboard very large accounts such as the corporate kitchen of Airbnb, Dropbox, and Palantir, who were spending hundreds of thousands of dollars every month on our platform, it was still so hard to get the data from their distributors, especially mm. the large broadline distributors. Mm -hmm. And that's when I became, you know, intimately acquainted with the problem of price transparency and inventory transparency in the food service industry. On the one hand, the large distributors don't want to have price transparency. They have been relying on sales reps to negotiate prices forever. <laughs> they mostly make their margins on small independent restaurants because they cannot make a lot of margin on their large accounts with mm. big national chains. And on the other hand, the small local suppliers that really wanted to get in front of those big, you know, purchasers didn't have the technology to have even digital catalogs at the time. And mm. that's kind of why I ultimately reached the conclusion that uh, to change the supply chain, I have to recreate the supply chain and build it from the ground up on what I believe is a modern technology stack, but not just the technology, it's really the entire go-to-market, a very customer-centric, service-oriented approach to the industry. And that's what we're doing with Cheetah. Very cool. So like for the people who don't know all these all the different terminology, can you define a broadline distributor, the different types of distributors that are in the marketplace and like also, it would be helpful to understand the marketplace. I guess we can talk about your model, but yeah. let's just start there with, with the basic terminology. Yeah, happy to actually talk a little bit about the size of the marketplace too. So um, food service purchasing in the United States accounts for about $300 billion in annual transactions. And most of that goes to restaurants. It's about 60% is restaurants purchasing. The rest goes to hospitals, hotels, corporate dining, and so on, or schools. Wow. There, there is a difference between broadline distributors who are distributors such as Cisco or US Foods or the two largest broadline distributors, publicly traded companies that are basically delivering a broad gamut of products right. that restaurants need from produce, dairy, and proteins all the way to to-go containers and cleaning supplies and specialty distributors that are normally focused on just one category. And normally these would be your produce distributors or meat specialty distributors. They could be dairy specialty distributors or ethnic distributors. The mom and pop distributors for the most part today mm. are mostly in the specialty category mm. as the broadline category has been mostly absorbed 
by the large um, national broadline distributors, right. such as Cisco, US Foods, PFG, or private equity funds. So Cheetah, as a broadline distributor, is, is really the only company today that is built from the grounds up on a technology stack and is building a differentiated brand within the broadline distribution category. Very interesting. So when you were at Source, so Sorcery, did you guys, like you didn't build all the different uh, logistics and everything, you were just basically connecting yeah. the two accounts, kind of the way maybe Chaco is doing it today, in a way they're kind of like hacking it, the hacking an email to a distributor at, on the other side of it? Yeah, I, I believe the Choco is basically aggregating messaging on behalf of the restaurant. Right. So instead of the restaurant texting multiple suppliers uh, in different text messages, it's almost like a WhatsApp where you have all of your suppliers and you're texting them from one place. And then on the back end, they're turning them into mm. ordering emails. Sorcery was going even deeper. It was literally taking the catalogs from the distributors, ERP systems, or catalogs were sent to us in some cases via Excel files and turning those catalogs into... Uh, customer-friendly product information mm. that that people could order from. It was more than just a messaging application. Mm -hmm. People could also pay online for their distributors. They could receive delivery confirmations. Like it was a full-on purchasing system. Very interesting. So yeah, I'd love to talk about, I mean, so it's very clear that this is a pen and paper industry by and large through and through. And that this is kind of a revolutionary new way of ordering. It's essentially bringing Instacart level user experience to the restaurant industry, if I understand it correctly. Uh, and you have a number of players that are trying to do this, right? You have a, like Reiki, Pepper, Choco, and Grub Market, which is the biggest of them. I'd love to hear about how you're different in, in, in that ecosystem. And uh, yeah, what's unique about Cheetah? Yeah, so each one of the companies you described has a slightly different strategy. Pepper, as far as I know, is is trying to sell technology to the distributors and basically make them e-commerce grade companies. Choco and Reki um, are this type of messaging platforms that are probably aspiring to become marketplaces. And Grab Market is quite similar to Cheetah in the sense that it is a vertically integrated company that is also managing the logistics. Um, Grab Market has been selling primarily into the grocery vertical and not so much into food service. Mm. We, for example, in the Bay Area are not seeing any competition with Grab Market. So Cheetah is very much taking like the Amazon approach to the market. We're not just a, a great uh, application for ordering, discovery and recommendations. We're actually managing the logistics in the back end. Mm. And the reason we're doing that is exactly all those lessons that I learned from my experience at Sorcery. Without controlling the supply chain, you can ultimately not control the customer experience. You cannot control pricing. You cannot control product information. You cannot control inventory availability or even provide real-time inventory when you're reliant on other distributors to have you know, e-commerce grade inventory systems, which in most cases they don't have. And of course, you cannot control the delivery experience. And the delivery experience continues to be very fragmented because restaurants on average order from about 15 distributors and in some cases even more. When they order from a broadline distribution company like Cheetah, they basically get all of their products aggregated into one delivery. So it's not just that the ordering experience is significantly better and more streamlined, the delivery experience, the payment experience is also aggregated and streamlined. Got it. That makes a whole lot of sense. And then you have this kind of, so you're, you are a broadline distributor in and of itself, but you're also a marketplace. So I'm, I'm really interested to kind of understand the long tail and the stuff that you actually own 
the inventory of and, and kind of how that business model works between the two? That's a, that's a great question. In fact, Marketplace is kind of the current uh, newest evolution in our business model. We launched it in beta a year ago. So the, the broad line category is basically all the commodity items that restaurants need to buy. The question for us was, how can we expand market share? How can we enable restaurants to order even more products from our catalog without having to grow the size of a warehouse to you know, be able to host a very large number of SKUs? And what we've developed is basically the ability to extend and not just our app, but also our entire delivery infrastructure to a whole gamut of, of suppliers. And we're mm -hmm. particularly focusing on local producers, local suppliers, be it local farms or local manufacturers uh, that can now basically get access to restaurant distribution through our platform. And what that means for Cheetah is that we are basically working with the suppliers to bring their catalogs online. We integrate them uh, onto the app. We manage the pricing together with them. We provide the products in our app as if they're part of the marketplace on the app. And when an order gets placed on the Cheetah app, that order basically gets placed with that vendor and the vendor then delivers to Cheetah mm. as a food hub or prepares their order to be picked up by one of our trucks on mm. the inbound trip, I see. Uh, which was very meaningful because again, we're not just a way to generate more sales. We're actually taking care of the hardest part, mm -hmm. which is the logistics. Right, the middle mile cross docking stuff. Exactly. So I can highlight maybe a few vendors that yeah. we're working with. One which is really exciting uh, for me particularly is that they're, they started as a customer of Cheetah buying ingredients from us. And then they started selling their products uh -huh. on the marketplace as a, a company called Doña Tamales. So mm. as, as you can imagine, they're making handmade tamales in the Bay Area. So they're both a buyer and a supplier on the marketplace. Oh, wow. Hodu Tofu is an amazing oh, tofu them, producer. Yeah. Okay, great. So they're selling on our marketplace. And again, the product is not stored in inventory, but it's listed on the catalog. And then when mm. a product gets you know, purchased, it gets basically delivered to a warehouse. And from there, it gets delivered to the customer. Mm -hmm. Another one that I, I love to highlight is called Alexander Farms. Mm -hmm. It's a very special farm uh, that has you know, a particular type of milk that is actually easiest on kind of the stomach mm -hmm. for people who are lactose intolerant. And <laughs> it's doing incredibly great. As well as maybe another one that I can highlight is called uh, Wild Wonder, which has been one of our fastest growing marketplace brand that is making functional beverages, which is currently a pretty trendy category, as you, as you might know. So again, the cool thing here is we don't have to grow our warehouse space to supply these brands. They can be listed on our platform and they can receive last mile delivery all through you know, one point of service. Very cool. I love that. And so the business model for that business, you know, for that side, I'm assuming is a commission structure where you don't have any inventory risk, but for all the broadline SKUs, I know it's like 3000, is it 3000 across both or is it 3000 broadline SKUs? Actually, it's it with three thousand. I I would say inventory skews, and now with the marketplace, we're we've added hundreds of more skews. The the current business model is similar for both uh, inventory and marketplace skews, or I would say uh, items that are currently not in inventory, which is where basically paying a margin to the vendors on every sale of the product. Mm -hmm. um, so we are negotiating prices with them in advance. In the case of inventory, we're buying the inventory, storing it in, in a warehouse. In the case of non-inventory items, we pay the vendors as soon as the product gets purchased. I see. So it's basically the, you just have different receivable terms on the marketplace versus the, the other inventory? 
Exactly. In the case of what we call just-in-time deliveries, right. which are items, again, that are ordered and delivered just-in-time, we pay the vendor as soon as the item gets purchased. Got it. So, so in addition to just making your margin on the products, do you have any other opportunities to generate revenue from things like integrated payments or what, what are the other revenue streams that you have currently? Integrated payments are part of our, you know, are part of our platform. We want to make sure that customers can pay for all of their products in one place. We we're not monetizing for it separately. We do have a membership program that today about 62% of our customers belong to, and that, that incurs a separate fee. And members receive um, a certain number of free deliveries per month under a certain threshold. So they can have a bunch of few deliveries because we have a $750 minimum for free delivery. So members can order a few smaller deliveries per month as part of their membership. They also receive credit back for every uh, dollar of purchases above $10,000 a month and access to a whole bunch of other discounts and, and perks. And we also work with brands on various promotions and marketing opportunities on the marketplace. Interesting. So I went on your app. Uh, it's a nice app. And I see on the be in the beginning, it says, like, I'm a family I can order or if I'm a restaurant... I can order. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of curious, like how your customer base may have changed during COVID or what was, you know, the kind of like the impact of COVID, which, I'm, which is when we first connected. Um, right. You know, yeah. How were you able to, you know, what were the things that you saw restaurants do to, to step up and be creative? And how did you kind of help them through this period? Right. Yeah, COVID uh, was a, a really big moment of crisis for us and the entire restaurant industry. Our sales plummeted overnight as restaurants were shutting down. And during the pandemic, we essentially opened up our platform to consumers for the first time. You know, as, as I mentioned just a minute ago, our minimum delivery or is our minimum order for free delivery is $750. That's a lot, right? <laughs> it's, that's a very much a B2B type of a thing, not a B2C. During the pandemic, we dropped all minimums. We dropped all fees. We actually didn't even charge membership fee or any delivery fees. And we kept that for a very long time. Only after about a year did we start bringing back some fees and slowly, gradually increase them to pre-pandemic levels. You know, as we saw the industry coming back, actually our membership has never gone back to pre-pandemic level. It, it stayed as about 25% of what it used to be pre-pandemic. As I said, during the pandemic, we opened up to consumers and there were a lot of people that were, you know, buying big bulk uh, bulks of food to, hoarding. you know, make sure that hoarding, <laughs> exactly, to make sure that they are protected in case there are any supply chain issues. We saw many uh, groups of neighbors buying together, large families wow. coming together. Uh, it was really amazing the kind of interactions we've had with consumers that during that time. And it felt like we were able to provide a true service to the community. So as I said, the way we helped restaurants is by removing all fees and just offering maximum flexibility because we knew how much they were hurting during the time. And the way we're helping the community at large is by opening our platform to consumers. And by the way, it wasn't just about letting them order on the platform with no fees. We actually turned our trucks into mobile distribution centers that were parked in multiple parking lots around the Bay Area and had people coming to the trucks to pick up their supplies mm. in a kind of a contactless pickup manner. It cool. was a really incredible experience. We did it for several months until the supermarket supply chain is, is stabilized. And today we still have consumers purchasing from us 
usually they have membership so they can afford to purchase a few smaller mm. deliveries or they buy in bulk uh, in in a kind of a group setup like mm-hmm. uh, like we were seeing during the pandemic I love the group ordering kind of dynamic I think it's in Asia it's that's a popular kind of yeah concept but for whatever reason it doesn't really seem to exist very much in the US and I think I, I think that's a huge opportunity to do like group buying and leveraging that that you buying power of your block and you know getting to know your yeah. neighbors it's like next door meets I don't know cheetah <laughs> next door meets cheetah <laughs> yeah it's it's one of my um, favorite pet projects I would love to be able to actually do it soon enough because during the pandemic we had this beautiful story of a, a whole neighborhood that came together for the first time because they were all purchasing on cheetah and there was a A couple of people who retired they were like the the coordinators and they were coordinating the purchases across their entire uh, group of neighbors and they told us that they actually became closer to one another because they were all purchasing food from cheetah and they had to you know, come to one place to pick it up so during the pandemic they organized uh, a movie night out there was a kid that was graduating and they organized a graduation ceremony for them at home again connections that never happened pre-pandemic were facilitated by the fact that people were essentially breaking bread together I find that to be incredible especially in times of crisis and I think that you If we're going to continue to see inflation raging as it as it is we're going to see a lot more people falling into food insecurity unfortunately and that's where uh, I, I believe cheetah can play a role very fascinating and then the, the on the threat of inflation the fact that you guys you know are very transparent about the pricing and have kind of you know have standardized the pricing for all your customers you know how do you see uh, that impacting your business kind of you versus other kind of distributors right now? You know, sometimes it, it makes it a lot harder for us. You know, how many times we are dealing with a situation where a Cisco rep will literally download our app and, you know, they would look at our pricing, they will lower the pricing on some items to win back accounts, and slowly wow. they will creep up the prices on other items without the restaurants noticing. This wow. happens all the time <laughs> at Cheetah. Yet we are very committed to our model because we believe that's the, the right model for, you know, the, the time and, and, and age we're living in. In terms of inflation, look, I mean, it has been impacting everyone. We have actually worked to help our restaurants understand how they can and should be moving on some of those costs uh, into increasing prices on their menu. Uh, they could, there is so much that uh, they can absorb themselves or pass on to their vendors. And we've tried to... You know do the best job that we can in just buying smartly and aggregating purchases to get the best prices that we can for our customers interesting so uh, on the follow-up to the covid topic one of the things that I covered kind of in the beginning was the US foods um, kind of pushing restaurants to do virtual brands so that they could continue buying more wholesale product from them right? they would come in and they said okay you have what you, you know you're Uh, an American food restaurant selling burgers you could easily sell chicken wings so buy our pre-doused chicken wings that have the hot, hot sauce on them and just stick them in, in the like flash fry them for a few minutes and then you have a whole fried you know whole wing concept so was this something that you saw with your customers and was it something that you have had any role in or seen any impact to your business from Yeah, I, I know that some of our customers have experimented with virtual brands. We haven't noticed any particular impact to our sales because of virtual brands. I believe 
based on what I'm seeing, that this is very, very nascent right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and is not at the volume where, at least from our vantage point, we've seen a major impact. Right. I mean, one of my predictions is that some food distributor is going to end up buying a next bite or virtual dining concepts uh, to, to uh, help with the technology. That's just my working thesis, but you know, we'll, we'll have to see how it all shakes out. That, that you think like someone like a Cisco used foods will buy a virtual brand and will start also have like a restaurant virtual brand as, as part of their business model? I think that, I think, yes. I think a sleepy broadline distributor that has zero tech prowess is going to buy these companies that have understand the delivery marketplaces. They have the connections to those marketplaces. And the interesting thing is that more and more increasingly, I am seeing virtual brand companies that are doing the mise en place for like they're basically meal kitting the, all the supply chain, right? So that the restaurant yeah. who's actually fulfilling the order doesn't even have to think about it. It's already been portioned for them. It's been sous vide yeah. for them, you know, and, and you've seen this end to end with like companies like Wonder that are doing this on a truck. They drive to your house with a, ba- a sous vide bath and then they stick the food that was made in the commissary. Why can't Cisco do that, right? But for restaurants mm. and do it for delivery. So these restaurants are all within within the last mile of the customer, they're the hubs. So then Cisco, US Foods, whomever can basically buy the culinary talent and the tech to kind of figure out what the, understand the data of what the delivery apps want around these restaurants, their customers, and get them to essentially buy more of these meal kits from them to sell through the restaurant. Mm. But this is just a thesis. Yeah, I can see where you're going. The thesis I have. Um, Anyway, Uh (laughs) don't want to derail the conversation too much and talk about this, but it's just a, you know, supply chain thing I, I thought about. Gotcha. Yeah. So... I'm curious if you know a lot of the people who are who are listening to this are are very um, much familiar with the food industry and they they love the understanding kind of the infrastructural part of it and the inner working. So can you talk about talk just like just sheer numbers? How many warehouses? How many trucks? What what does it look like? What have you built infrastructure wise that all these local vendors can kind of tap into uh, thanks to your platform? Yeah, so we currently are distributing out of uh, a nearly 100,000 square feet, three temperature uh, warehouse in the Bay Area. And we have you know, p- plenty of opportunity to expand uh, our sales and our volume, uh, even with the acquisition, the recent acquisition of three small distributors here in the Bay Area. Uh, we're very, very excited about the marketplace that I mentioned earlier and how we can partner with more local vendors on the marketplace. We also have a warehouse in Dallas, between Dallas and Fort Worth in Texas, which we're planning to launch at the beginning of next year and start servicing the, the Texas market from there. The entire state of Texas, or is it just going to be like an area? It's going to be Dallas-Fort Worth initially, and then we're looking to set up hubs, uh, sorry, spokes. The hub will be the the Dallas-Fort Worth warehouse, and we're looking to set up spokes in San Antonio and Austin. Mm -hmm. And anything you can share on the the trucks and the kind of the last mile delivery component? In in the Bay Area, we have a fleet of nearly 20 trucks. That that is ours, together with the distributors that uh, we acquire. That Mm -hmm. probably brings us to about 40 Mm -hmm. last mile kind of refrigerated trucks or vans, sprinter vans, Mm -hmm. and still nothing in in Dallas uh, because we haven't launched there yet. 
Very cool. So, okay, you, it seems like we, we, this is the perfect time to talk about the acquisition that just happened uh, over the last couple yeah. of weeks. You announced that you acquired Correct. three mom and pop distributors to essentially bring them onto the into the 21st century on your platform. Um, I, I've seen Grub Market had had a similar strategy where, That's you right. know, from my vantage point, they're basically raising capital at a very high revenue multiple and then buying these guys at a much smaller multiple. This is the arbitrage, right? And we've seen this time and again with other players in the food industry. You know, GoPuff buying BevMo or buying Liquor Barn, they're able to raise hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in capital. And then they take the revenue from these smaller guys, these, you know, non-tech players, and they can raise it at a 10x, you know, double digit multiple at when times were much better. So uh, I'm curious, <laughs> uh, um, how you benefit from this, how they benefit from this, and, and kind of talk us through the strategy and the reasoning behind why we're going to see more of this in the future. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So as far as those uh, acquisitions, um, the, the idea is to basically get more scale. In distribution, scale is the most important thing because scale gives you purchasing power that improves your margin. Scale gives you density, which improves your profitability on deliveries. And scale ultimately translates into the ability to offer better pricing and better customer experience to your customers. Um, what happened post-pandemic is just a massive uh, kind of once in a lifetime disruption to supply chains. Um, I, I, I don't need to tell you about it, but that has meant that restaurants are struggling to have supply chain consistency from their distributors. And small distributors in particular are really struggling to solve this problem on their own. Think about it, if you're a manufacturer, who are you going to be prioritizing? The Cisco US Foods guys that are purchasing tens of millions of dollars with you or a small mom and pop distributor? And so unfortunately, it's going to actually become harder and harder for smaller mom and pop distributors to compete from a supply chain perspective, as well as the labor you know, shortage that we've seen kind of becoming worse and worse uh, post-pandemic. So the main reason for small distributors to join forces with Cheetah is the fact that they can truly get access to scale faster and they can become part of a brand that is, you know, today what I believe is is really truly the only kind of breakthrough brand in the food service industry. It's also part of our marketplace strategy. You know, as I said, the marketplace strategy is about empowering, enabling, and celebrating local brands. These distributors have very strong loyalty and local brands that they've built for decades. Uh, these are family businesses that have been going in gen moving from one generation to another. And part of our strategy is very much to keep those brands, celebrate them, um, and, and integrate those companies into the Cheetah family. And they receive significant equity uh, in the business as well, so that when Cheetah is successful, everyone is successful. Very cool. So yeah, I'd love to dive in a little bit more on what that looks like for, on both sides from their, their existing customers. Are they migrating over to Cheetah? And then on the supply side, are you putting them their products uh, into your, you know, just general inventory or is it going to live in a different section inside of the marketplace or how does that all look on both sides? Great question. We will be integrating their inventory into a warehouse. So that will happen in September. We'll actually merge, essentially move the, their items into our warehouse and we'll, we'll shut down their, their warehouse. Their items will show up as part of the Cheetah catalog. And they, at that point, will start migrating to using the Cheetah app. A lot of these 
customers are still ordering the old-fashioned way. Yeah. They're calling in their orders through their apps. So we're going to make it a very slow, gradual, and smooth transition for them. Like, we also want to be respectful of the way they've done things forever. But over time, we will help them migrate to using the app. And over the years that I've been working in this industry, I've seen that even the people who said that they don't know how to use apps, eventually they use Amazon and they all can, can, do, can do it and they can do it great. And they also find how valuable it is when they talk to their reps on things that truly matter, like asking for recommendations around products or discussing mm. different menu items, as opposed to talking to the rep just to place an order, which is mm -hmm. really not a necessary thing to do. And it's, a, it's kind of a waste of time. <laughs> totally. So yes, their products will be integrated into our, our app. Their inventory items will come into a warehouse. Their drivers will continue to deliver their, their delivery. So there will be continuity in the customer experience on that end. It's going to be a very slow and gradual transition to make sure that people are feeling comfortable about it on both sides. Very cool. I was thinking about like, you know, the, the hurdles to getting people to, you know, download the app and, and use, you know, some new technology, I guess, I'm, I'm just kind of curious about, yeah, like, how, you know, your existing customers, how did you go about on the restaurant side, you know, getting them to shift this behavior? And what do you think are the key barriers to that? Yeah, I, I think I have to say that um, when we started, the minority of ordering was happening online, uh, both with, uh, you know, other distributors. Cheetah was kind of online or on app from day one. But I think that Cisco Use Foods and other distributors were seeing the minority of orders happening kind of in a digital format. But post-pandemic, I think that is now becoming more mm -hmm. of the standard. And in that sense, the pandemic has helped accelerate something that was kind of always in the making and going to happen. Because as I said earlier, the same people in the restaurants are using Amazon. Right. And they're using many other e-commerce applications, web applications or mobile applications for their personal use. There is no reason why they wouldn't do right. that for their business business use. So the pandemic has truly helped accelerate that in a big way. Totally. We do go to market with a sales team that does a lot of preparation work before we onboard a customer. Mm -hmm. We learn about their customer's menu. We oftentimes provide them with a price uh, analysis, kind of showing them what products they're currently purchasing from other distributors can be found in our catalog. We're matching their products to products in our catalog. We offer substitutions when needed. We show them what price uh, savings they, they can get with Cheetah. Customers purchasing from Cheetah would normally save anywhere from 10 to 20% as compared to broadline distributors mm. such as Cisco News Foods. And we literally set up their shopping list. So in our app, there is essentially a catalog where the marketplace of items is listed and can be searched and, and filtered very much like you would find on Amazon. And then there is a shopping list component. That's one of the biggest differences between a B2B experience mm. and a B2C experience. The B2B restaurant is mostly ordering the same product day in and day out, multiple times a week. So the shopping list is where the SKUs that they normally order are, are saved and they can be essentially organized either alphabetically or by category, or they can literally even be organized by the order in which they're placed in the physical environment, like they're stored in the physical environment, as if we're like mimicking mm. a, a clipboard experience. And so when restaurants start using the app, normally restaurants, at least that have gone through our kind of white glove onboarding experience, they've really become very comfortable with it because we've set up a lot of all of their SKUs. 
And many restaurants are self-onboarding. They're just downloading our app and placing orders wow. without ever talking to a rep. And so that shows you that long, long gone, in my opinion, are the days where, you know, people are saying that they cannot use technology for ordering. I think the pandemic has kind of made it pretty much part of the past. It's fascinating, like the parallels between, you know, just general, you know, Instacart and just online grocery shopping for consumers, like you mentioned, Amazon. And the B2B side, it just kind of goes hand in hand yes. because at the end of the day, everyone has to feed themselves. So they might as well, you know, you, <laughs> you have to leverage the same technology to, on the other and your job, too. So that makes a lot of sense. I, you know, you're talking. I love this talk about uh, the shopping list functionality and how you're basically mimicking clipboards and building all these awesome features for restaurants to kind of you know easily transition. Can you talk a little bit more about maybe draw some parallels between like, you know, Amazon and Instacart and what you've built and what you're able to do that they just can't do with the pen and paper. Uh, what do you really make it easy, like recommendations wise, using algorithms, machine learning, yeah. uh, auto, I'm thinking also food waste, right? If you can think about, yeah. uh, and then it also auto replenishment. How do you make sure that, yes. you know, things are on autopilot and, and then you have a sense yes. of what they're working with and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Totally. So today uh, we definitely offer personalized recommendations. We are using machine learning to look at the customer's purchasing behavior as well as other customers in similar categories and geographies. That is not something you can get in a pen and paper ordering, right? Like you cannot get discovery of items that might have great potentiality from both a flavor and a pricing for you. You can also, you cannot get real-time inventory when you're ordering via pen and paper in, in the Cheetah app, you can see in real time how many items are left uh, in our storage, in our warehouse for every SKU that you want to order. That saves so much time versus the old school ordering in pen and paper and calling your vendor when you get shorted next day, it's kind of too late. So that like real time ordering real-time inventory during the ordering experience is incredibly important. We also have a very large taxonomy of food service items that enables us to offer substitutes. Mm. And that has become incredibly relevant, especially when so many items are shorted because of the general supply chain challenges we've been experiencing. So the ability to get real-time substitution recommendations mm -hmm super, super meaningful to restaurants who are reliant on having more or less the same menu items day in and day out. Another two very important features that are differentiated um, in the Cheetah platform is we offer flexible delivery windows that you can actually book in real time, whereas pretty much every other distributor in the industry will tell you you have uh, Monday and uh, Thursday deliveries between 3 and 6 p.m. In Cheetah, you can basically set up your delivery window every time you place an order, very much like you would do when you order an Instacart or mm -hmm. DoorDash. And that is very helpful, especially for restaurants who are struggling with labor shortages and need to have that flexibility. Another one that is unique is that restaurants can place an order until midnight for next day delivery. And that is unique. Most uh, other distributors, all of them actually have normally a 3 to 5 p.m. cut of time. As far as um, managing better food waste and, and going into outdoor replenishment, this is the third part of our vision. So, you know, if I can kind of take a step back, the first part of our vision was creating a tech-enabled supply chain that is vertically integrated. The second one was adding the marketplace. The third one we call inventory as a service. And mm. we believe that when you have customer purchasing behavior and a very broad marketplace of products with real-time pricing and 
information, you can then let the customer set up their margin targets. And by integrating with that customer point of sale data, you can start moving into wow. auto replenishment. So that auto replenishment is based on their margin targets, their product and quality requirements, their delivery window preferences, all these data pieces that we've been collecting for years will start really becoming very actionable in this vision. And what's really exciting is that uh, my partner and CTO, Alon Hartal, is working on this now pretty much full time. We will have uh, a pilot version available to test next quarter. And that will be a very big part of our push uh, next year. It's going to have huge impact on food waste, I hope, uh, not only because food waste is bad for the environment, but food waste based on our research accounts for 6% on average of all restaurant sales. That is so much. If we can wow. even bring food waste down by 50%, we'll in, we, we could increase profit margins for restaurants by one to 2%, which is very meaningful. So that's uh, part of our strategy to automate uh, the supply chain, but also to become a leader in sustainability and food waste mitigation for the food service industry. Love that. Um, it's like, yeah, really interesting to go end to end and understand, you know, it sounds like you have to basically build recipe management, right? Like, like Galley does, right? Where it's like understanding, yeah. you, you know, something is a, uh, an item in the POS system, which is a dish, but in order yeah. to get from cheetah to the dish, you need to know what inputs yes. go into those things, right? And you need to know of what course. portions of all these different things are. So you essentially have to build a whole new module of recipe management, right? Yeah, it's, we're using machine learning actually. So it's not a structured recipe management module. Mm. We were, it's part of the secret sauce that goes into reverse engineering those menu items into ingredients. But of course you have to break those menu items into ingredients in order to calculate what a synthetic inventory, so to say, is for the restaurant and yeah. how many items they're actually kind of decrementing by in order to offer exactly. uh, automatic replenishment. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of shelf engine now, this is just all coming up, these ideas, yeah. right? So. What if you did the, a model where you took on the inventory risk, where you essentially were making a spread? I guess there's not enough margin here, but like if you making a spread between, you know, whatever the restaurant would have saved and what they would have normally paid, right? So you take 50 mm. basis points or 1% and then take on the risk, inventory risk of actually placing the order for them in advance as you get more and more granular data. Yeah, I'm familiar with their model. Who knows how this is going to turn out? I think that uh, the number one goal for us right now is just to decrease the, the amount of labor and time and food waste involved in the supply chain and, and truly offer you know supply chain as a service. I do believe that uh, this could translate into other cool applications such as new forms of financing, mm. um, new forms of like dynamic menu pricing and recommendations. Right. Again, we're very, very uh, focused on building a lot of um, sustainability features into our offering. So we're, we're focused on, on offering substitutes that are more sustainable or healthier for people through this form of ordering. It's essentially going to be a, a much smarter way of ordering where you're kind of combining the human intelligence with machine intelligence into mm. one application that is actually backed by true supply chain that can deliver the products to you, not just a software layer. Very, very cool. Kind of pulling on that human thread. What is the human? So now that you've freed up a lot of these, you know, kind of rote tasks 
uh, to the machine learning algorithms and just the you you know user interface and features and that you've built uh, over the past years. What is the role of the rep now? Uh, you were mentioning earlier, like they help you with the recommendations, but th- th- maybe talk a little yes. bit more of that and how important that's going to be as you, you know, inc- you know, increasingly acquire more and more of these old school kind of distributors who would normally rely on that kind of personal connection to dial someone up. Like, what does that actual conversation look like now that you've automated so much of it? Yeah. So we have um, our sales team is kind of split into two groups the outbound team that goes on to acquire customers. And they are the ones who are basically selling a customer on the cheetah value proposition. And as I said, like show them the type of products we have, the pricing savings we can provide, set up their shopping list and follow up with the customer through their onboarding period, which is normally eight weeks. And then we have our growth team, which is our account management team. And they're the ones who are responsible for just a much more, I would say, strategic level of support that can be things related to menu consultation or providing inputs around different SKUs that are coming in season or coming out of season, or even providing advance notice of price changes that we think restaurants need to be aware of and um, and be preparing for. The tech enablement that we're doing is not about replacing humans, it's about augmenting humans. And that's why our team can service very large number of customers, even though it's not very big. So uh, again, I don't think we are ever going to be replacing humans in an industry that is so highly reliant on the human touch. I mean, we're still talking about foods and ingredients and expertise. We just want to enable our reps, as well as our vendors, to have a much more efficient way to interact with customers that, that is, again, is actionable uh, on, on what really matters, like culinary advice, price management, menu management is supposed to let me take your order <laughs> on the phone, you know, or chasing after customers. This is ultimately the vision that we are promoting in Cheetah. Very cool. Yeah, it makes total sense. I want to spend the rest of our conversation looking at the future and get some of your predictions. Uh, and I guess starting with like kind of the food distributors that we kind of mentioned at the beginning, that the broad line U.S. foods and Cisco's of the world. You know, where do you think they're excelling and where do you think that they are falling short and what are they going to have to do to evolve in the future? Where do you see them? Do you, you know, where do you, where do you see them being in the next five to 10 years, if we can even look that far? I mean, they're excelling in operations. They are very sophisticated, uh, excellent operators that have been able to build scale businesses across, you know, multiple regions, in some cases internationally. These are really, really difficult businesses to build. And so we have a lot of respect for them for what they've been able to achieve. We believe that Cheetah can become the leader in servicing independent restaurants as well as like independent local groups. And the Cisco News Foods are probably going to be doing a much better job than us uh, in servicing national chains. Mm. I don't see Cheetah being able to have the same uh, geographic footprint than they do. And that's also not the type of customer base that we're going after. Makes a lot of sense. Kind of pulling on the thread of like independent restaurants, are there any new customer segments that have popped up over the last couple of years, especially during the pandemic? I can think of quick commerce. I can think of ghost kitchens. I guess the quick commerce thing is more like grocery, so it's not necessarily your core wheelhouse. But have you seen a, a kind of a diversity of new kind of customers popping up over this period? Interesting question. I mean, definitely ghost kitchens. We are delivering to multiple ghost kitchens around the Bay Area. That is a new type of a business. I think they actually started before the pandemic, but the pandemic has accelerated this type of of customers. 
Um, there's a lot of really interesting, you know, companies in the, I guess, prepared meal space that we're working with. And we're also seeing a lot more nonprofit organizations servicing people coming up, you know, because of food insecurity issues. I would say this is kind of probably a good highlight of, of new models that we've seen purchasing from Cheetah. Okay, so I have another prediction, and I want you to tell me if I'm crazy or not. And um, this prediction is that a company like Cloud Kitchens uh, or any other ghost kitchen provider is ultimately going to either become a distributor or buy a distributor or try to essentially streamline the distribution for all of the tenants under un, in its four walls yeah. to really improve the margins as we experience yeah. inflation on both the last mile side and on the food side. Something's got to give. What, what do you think about that? I think that's very reasonable. I mean, we've seen even in Asia that some of the largest um, food delivery companies like Meituan uh, and Grab have also started offering um, supplies to the restaurants. Zomato in India. And so I think at some point there's going to be a limit to how much margin they can extract from restaurant sales. And they mm. would try to penetrate deeper into kind of the restaurant uh, life, day-to-day um, -day life, and will offer supplies either by doing partnerships with company companies like us or by acquiring a distribution company. Yeah, I think that's very possible to happen. As I said, it already has happened in Asia, very likely to happen in the US over the next five to 10 years. Very cool. Well, I, I really, this has been an awesome conversation. I think I've learned a lot that I did not know prior. So thank you so much for, for coming on and taking the time. I want to give you like a minute or two to kind of plug away any job opportunities or anything uh, you want to promote on Cheetah. If people, are, there's a lot of restaurateurs on the podcast who are tuning in that they want to get started, tell them how they can get onboarded uh, and smart engineers, yeah. how they could come work for you and all that stuff. Oh, totally. So we're always looking for smart people to work with us uh, in anywhere from like product management, engineering, data scientists, analysts, uh, category managers, supply planners, especially as we're planning to expand to uh, Texas next year. For restaurateurs, would love to welcome you into the Cheetah family if you're in the Bay Area. We'd love to talk to you if you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and would, and would want to know more about Cheetah and maybe become part of our uh, kind of early pilot in, in Dallas. And if you're interested in this concept that I described earlier, the inventory as a service concept, and would be interested in being part, part of our pilot group or, uh, you know, we like to call it our customer advisory board, please let me know. Even if you're not based in the Bay Area, we'd love to be in touch with you and learn from you about, you know, your vision for the future of the food service industry and restaurants and how we can help that uh, become a reality. Very cool. I think I'm going to have to steal that inventory as a service for the title of this podcast, if that's okay with you. Okay. <laughs> Sounds great. Okay, well, Nama, well, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for, for dropping all the knowledge and for coming on. And uh, we'll, we'll be keeping an eye on your expansion into Texas. All righty. Thank you so much, Matt. It was such an honor being here and talking with you on this podcast. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you're curious to get a first-hand look at the cutting edge of food and tech, check out Hungry.tv. That's Hungry with No You, where you can join in on live conversations like these or sign up for the free weekly newsletter.